This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. One of my favorite verses is Ecclesiastes 3.11, and it reads, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I really like to think about this verse because it shows that God has a plan for my life individually, yet he also has a plan for the entire world. I think about it sometimes that I would never be able to know what God's plan is for the entire world, that I could never fathom what he has done. And it just really helps me to think about just the grandness of his love and his plan for the world. All right, so we have been preaching a sermon series this summer called Favorite Passages, and today is the last sermon in this series. Next Sunday is going to be a special Sunday where we're going to hear testimonies. We're going to actually hear live people share their testimonies, their stories about their favorite passages. We're going to be singing, sharing communion together, and we're all going to bring it together next Sunday, September 1st. There are certain passages, certain verses, certain scriptures that play an important part in our lives. Sometimes God speaks to us through uh, particular scriptures, sometimes over the course of our lives and sometimes in, in particular times when we need them. And we've been asking you this question, what is one of your favorite passages. Now, I know we love all of the Bible, but there are certain scriptures that stand out. And what are some of your favorite passages and why? And I have been inspired receiving emails from you sharing with me some of your favorite passages. We've had markers out in the lobby and you've been writing your favorite passages on the windows. And these next two Sundays, I hope we continue to write these passages on there. And the hope is that we would each share one of our favorite passages with someone else, and why? Why is it? Rick Terletsky, last Sunday, he said this. He said, favorite verses, they are not just words that help us in hard times. They are not just a collection of nice phrases. These are the very words of the living God, and we should approach his word eager to be transformed. I love that. So today, I'm going to preach on not only one of my favorite verses, in many ways it has become and is my life verse. 2 Corinthians 2, verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, I know it, that we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to ever-increasing glory, that we are all transformed into the likeness of Christ from one degree of glory to ever-increasing glory. It has inspired my Christian walk. It has inspired my ministry. It is the reason I preach and teach. It's the reason that I pastor. It is the reason why I counsel Because it's about transforming people. It has become one of my favorite passages, and I'm excited to share it with you today. So let's pray and ask the Lord to speak. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us together. 
Thank you that you are here, that you are present with us through your Holy Spirit. Uh, Help us to become aware of you and your presence. And Lord, there's no accident that we're here. You brought us, which means that you want to speak to us. Um, It could be through a a person, a person's smile, an encouragement, a hug. It could be through a song. It, It could be through your words that I'm teaching now. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit to hear what you want us to hear today, that we really would be people who are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. So bless us in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, all right, we're going to, I'm going to read the whole passage leading up to my favorite verse, because it, it, the context really helps see how it builds to this, this verse. So I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting all the way in verse 1, and work with you in this. Now, Paul's going to be talking about how, how the Corinthian church, that community, is ministers of a new covenant uh, rather than ministers of an old covenant. So let's see what he does, and I'm going to kind of walk us through this. So verse 1, Paul says to this Corinthian church, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? So what's happening here is Paul started this church, but um, this church didn't really like some of Paul's teaching in his other letters. And so they started kind of complaining about Paul. And there were these other super apostles, these apostles who were wealthy and very eloquent, and they would come in and, and they, they looked really good and they spoke really well. And they were comparing them with Paul, who was not a very good speaker and uh, had poor eyesight, and he was poor and suffering all the time. And so they were asking for these letters of recommendation. And so he's going to work with this request. It's, this is so brilliant, this letter. So he says, you yourself, look at what he does. You, Corinthian church, yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, that they are, they are, their, they are Paul's letter of recommendation. Written by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the heart. So Paul now is going to be thinking about the tablets of stone, the old covenant that Moses gave. And he's going to be thinking about the new covenant in in Jeremiah when he talks about the tablets of human hearts. Jeremiah the prophet uh, said that God was saying that he's going to make a new covenant, not like the old one written on stone, tablets of stone, which they disobeyed, he's going to write a new covenant directly on their hearts through his Holy Spirit. That's the promise. So what Paul is saying is that promise is now happening in you, the Corinthian church. So then he goes on and he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. We can be confident to come before God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers, servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, 
this letter of the old covenant law, he says, kills. Not because the letter kills, but the old covenant points out their sin. Their sin is what kills and causes death. So the Old Testament is pointing out their condemnation. He then goes on and he, he starts to contrast this ministry of death versus the ministry of life. And you're going to see 12 times this word glory. Can you say it with, in fact, every time you see it, I want you to say the word glory with me, okay? So 12 times in these next verses. So now, if the ministry of death carved in stone, uh, letters of stone, he's referring to the Old Testament. Again, he's saying it's a ministry of death because the law points out to their sin which causes death. It's not the law that is causing death. It's their sin that causes death. He says, now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory, doxa. The, the Old Testament word is kavod. It means heavy significant. It means important. So came with such glory that the Israelites could not even gaze at Moses's face because of its glory. So he's bringing them back to this moment when um, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He receives the covenant. And because he's talking with God, his face was shining with the glory of God. But he had to put a veil over his face because the people were afraid to look at the glory. And so he says this face because of the glory which was being brought to an end. And he's talking about the old covenant being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more The letter of the Old Testament law points to the sin, but the Old Testament condemns them to death. But now there's a glory that is even greater. Now Paul's going to contrast a ministry of condemnation with a ministry of righteousness. For if there was glory, importance, God's manifestation in the ministry of condemnation through the Old Testament, Old Covenant, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed its Indeed, in this case, what once had has come to have no glory at all because of the You see, he's talking about the surpassing glory. It had glory, but there is surpassing glory. For if what was being brought to an end, the old covenant, came with much more will be what is permanent, have glory. I think glory's on his mind, isn't it? So what Paul then says is since we have such a hope, so hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being being brought to an end, that old covenant. But with mind, but their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. The veil that separates the people from the glory of God that was covering Moses' face. Because only through Christ it is taken away. Only through Christ is the veil taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, that is the Torah, the Old Testament, a veil lies over their hearts. And now listen to this. Here we come. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil, it's removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, 
with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Literally, from glory into glory, from glory into glory into glory into glory. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Wow! Transformation. Can you say that word with me? Transformation. Transformation. I love that word. This passage is all about being transformed. The Greek word is metamorphos, which we get the word metamorphosis from, and it literally just means to be changed. To be transformed means to be changed. And all through this whole passage, you're seeing transformation. You're transforming from the old to the new, from death into life, from the letter to the spirit, from condemnation to righteousness, from glory to ever surpassing glory. Transformation. We are being transformed into the likeness of Christ from one degree of glory to ever increasing glory. So the question is, how do we transform? How do we change? How do we transform? Paul actually gives us three elegant, simple steps to transformation. You want to hear them? I call them the three verbs of transformation. Verb number one, turn. Can you say that with me? Turn, turn. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Paul here, again, is thinking about the veil that covered the shining face of Moses. Again, let me remind you that story. Moses goes up to the Mount Mount of Sinai, and he's talking with the Lord. And the Lord gives him the old covenant, etched on stone, letters on stone, written on stone, the Ten Commandments. He's up there, and he's because he's talking to the Lord, three times it says, His face shone. His face was shining. His face was shining. Talking to the Lord in the Lord's presence. His face began to emanate rays of the glory of God. And so when he came down, all the people were terrified, not of Moses, but of this glory that was coming from him. And so he had to wear a veil to conceal that glory from the people. So Paul here is, is... contrasting Moses with the the greater glory of Jesus, Moses mediated an old covenant between God and the people, but Moses had to wear a veil. There's a veil that was between the people and the glory of God, a separation, a covering. But Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus mediates a new covenant between God and the people, but Jesus has no veil. He removes the veil. He removes all the covering. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, he removed the veil once and for all. That is why when we turn to the Lord Jesus, the veil's removed. When we turn to Jesus, nothing blocks us from coming to God. And that's why Paul says that you and I, we can have confidence toward God. We don't need to be be ashamed in the presence of God. We don't need to be afraid of the glory. We can come confidently before the Lord because Jesus removes the covering. He removes the veil. Hallelujah, right? 
So when we turn toward Jesus, then the veil is removed. Then once the veil is removed, what happens next? And we come to the second verb, reflect. Can you say that word with me? Reflect. We all, with unveiled faces now, beholding the glory of the Lord. The Greek word translated beholding is is literally, it means to reflect as in a mirror. To reflect as in a mirror. Paul is, is so wonderful here. He's using language in the image of a mirror. A mirror, if, if you think about a mirror, what does a mirror do? It reflects, but what does it reflect? Whatever it's turned toward, it's filled with whatever, so it's reflecting me right now. Um, you know, uh, this, this um, music stand, I can point it to you, but it's just a music stand. I can point it to me, it's just a music stand. There's, there's, it, it stays that way. But if I put, point the mirror to you, it's reflecting you. It's full of you. If, if you are a mirror, then you, whatever you're turned toward, it's filled with. And that's what Paul's inviting us to, is to be a mirror. So if your life is a mirror and you're turned toward your work, then you're going to be filled with your work. If you're turned primarily toward money and possessions, your, your thoughts are going to be about money and possessions. If you're turned toward entertainment, then you're going to be full of whatever it is you're turned toward. And Paul is saying that you and I, we are to be mirrors. We, our lives should be a mirror. And this mirror is to be turned toward Jesus. And when we turn toward the Lord Jesus, we are reflecting the glory of the Lord, the glory of God, which is the presence of God. Jesus, it says, he is the glory of God. He is the radiance of God. So when we turn toward Jesus, then the veil's removed. When the veil's removed, then we become like a mirror reflecting his glory. And when we reflect his glory, we come to the third verb, transform. Can you say that with me? Transform. We turn, we become a mirror reflecting Jesus' glory, and then we transform. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are being transformed. Again, Paul's thinking about Moses compared to Jesus. Moses was transformed on a mountain. His face was shining after he was talking with God. But Jesus was also transformed on a mountain as well, the Mount of Transfiguration. But it was his face that was shining itself. Because he himself is the radiance of the glory of God. So now we can be transformed into anything. Isn't that right? We can, be, we can be transformed into anything. We can be transformed into anger. We can be transformed into fear if we, if we, if we reflect fear. But what are we being changed and transformed into? It says we're being transformed into the same image. And in the Greek, it literally says into his image, his, the icon of him, meaning the nature of him, that what we're being transformed 
when we turn our mirror toward Jesus is we then become transformed into his likeness. And how are we going to be changed? From one degree of glory to ever-increasing glory. In other words, our change doesn't happen all at once. It's a little bit at a time, more and more into the likeness of Christ. And that's why, my friends, the goal of Christianity is not that we become a believer in Jesus. That is the starting point of Christianity. The goal for every Christian is to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, to be a little more like him, to, have a, to be a little more full of his love, a little more joyful, a little more peaceful, a little more gentle and patient and kind and self-controlled and hopeful. Paul brilliantly uses the image of a mirror because we transform into whatever we are turned toward. We transform into whatever we're turned toward. If we're continuously turned toward entertainment, that's what we're transformed by. Or work, or fear, or anger, or bitterness. We're transformed into it. So friends, how do we apply this to our lives? How do we transform? Paul says, by becoming a mirror that is turned toward Jesus. And Paul gives actually three specific ways to turn toward Jesus. We turn our unveiled face, our unveiled mind, and our unveiled heart. First, we transform by turning our face. Paul says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of the Old Testament that was coming to an, to an end. The face is a biblical symbol for our presence. So when we turn our face towards someone, it means we're present with them. Right? I could be in the room with you, and I'm, you know, I'm in the room with you. I'm here, but it, this is different. I'm present, looking at you, with you. The face is a symbol for presence, and we transform when we turn our gaze to Jesus Christ. When we look at him and fix our eyes on him, just like a mirror, we are transformed by what we are turned toward. When our face is turned toward Jesus, he removes the veil. And the second way that we can turn is with our mind. Paul says, but the Israelites' minds were hardened, but that same veil remained unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. And we can turn our minds to Jesus, and when we do that, he removes the hardness in our minds. The third practical way that he gives to turn is to turn our hearts. Paul says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. The heart in the Bible is a symbol of our physical heart, our physicality. It's a symbol of our mental thoughts. It can be a symbol of our emotions, and it can be a symbol of our desires. So whatever has your physical, mental, emotional presence, what, you, what do you desire? That's where your heart is. And we can be transformed into the likeness of Jesus from glory to glory 
by turning our face, our mind, and our heart toward Jesus. Now, let me try to illustrate this. Like any relationship, we are transformed or we can transform any relationship when we turn toward that person. Does that make sense? We grow in our relationship when we give a person our face, our presence, when we give our person our thoughts, our thoughtfulness, when we give them all of who we are. So, for example, I am transformed by my relationship with my amazing and beautiful wife, Michelle. I'm transformed when I give her my face, I'm f- when I'm fully present with her, um, when I put away my work. Now, um, she loves it. She loves it when I am physically present. I mean, she just loves it when I'm around. She says, you always underestimate the value of your presence to me. Just she loves it when I'm around. But I'll tell you what, she loves it when I give her my full attention. It transforms our relationship when I am fully present. Now, I want to make a caveat. She does not need my full presence all the time. (laughs) Yeah, wakes up in the morning. (laughs) She's sleeping at night. She's eating dinner. She's trying to read a book. It's kind of creepy, right? A little creepy. She doesn't need my full attention all the time, but, but she does need my full attention. And that bringing of my face is transforming for our relationship. I also, our relationship is transformed by getting to know her. For example, getting to know her life, her stories, her interests, her Myers-Briggs assessment, her Enneagram number, her strengths finders. Uh, To get to know her, I'm transformed by getting to know her, where she lived. You know, I wanted to see all the places where she lived, and that was very difficult to do because she's lived in a lot of places. So I flew to Jakarta, Indonesia, where she was born, so I could see where she lived. I went to Utrecht, uh, Holland, where she grew up. Um, I went to Montreal, Canada, to visit McGill University. I went to Hong Kong to see Mother's Choice, to see where she worked and the places that she lived in Seattle, to see where she lived, to get to know her. was transforming for our relationship. I'm transformed when I'm vulnerable and share my emotions with her, and better yet, when I miraculously sometimes have the capacity to empathize with her emotions. I'm transformed by my relationship with Michelle when I gave her my whole heart, when I chose her. Our relationships are transformed when we give our face and our thoughts and our heart. And our relationship with Jesus works the same way. I'm transformed by my relationship with Jesus, by being a mirror that turns toward him. I'm transformed when I am present with him through his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit. Uh, practicing the presence of God. It's why in the morning I breathe in and remember that he is with me and abides in me. 
Um, before I prepare a sermon, I just take a breath and remember the Holy Spirit. He is with me. He's with us right now to practice being present to his presence. It's transforming. I'm transformed in my relationship with Jesus by getting to know him, by reading his story, reading the Gospels every year at minimum. Read the Gospels to get to know him. I'm transformed by, I've been to Israel a few different times, led trips to see where he was born, to see where he lived. You don't have to go there yourself. You can go online and see these places to learn, to know, to think about him. When I think about him, I'm transformed. I'm transformed when I share my heart, when I share my emotions through prayer, when I confess my vulnerabilities and talk to him about my emotions because he empathizes with me. It's transforming. I am transformed. I was transformed. I believe me, friends. I was transformed when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I was fundamentally changed when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ at age 16. And I am continuing to see him work in my life and to grow and hope to grow from one degree of glory to ever-increasing glory. How do we transform, friends? By being a mirror and turning our face and our mind and our hearts to Jesus. I love this verse because it says... I don't have to stay the same. I don't have to be the same person tomorrow that I am today. I can grow. I can change. I can transform. I can transform into the likeness of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to ever-increasing glory. And the only thing I have to do is turn and be a mirror and turn just to Jesus Christ. That, friends, is why 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, is one of my favorite verses. Now, I'd like to call up Yvette Penado. And I'm, I've been so grateful to all those who shared their favorite passages with me. It's, it's been super inspiring to read stories, transformation. Um, People have literally been transformed from death to life, from despair to hope. These stories that you're going to hear next week are amazing. And I want you to hear one story. By the way, I just love Yvette. We went out for lunch, and he told me this story. And I'm like, you have to write this story down. And, um, you know, I spent uh, 13 years, almost 13 years in the Philippines. So I love having Filipinos in here. It makes me so happy. Yeah. Um, And so I wanted you to hear one story of how Jesus transformed not only his life, but his whole family. So can you welcome uh, Yvette? I think it should be on. Just talk. Hello. 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 Okay. So for those who doesn't know me, uh, I'm Yvette Peinado. And let me read you. And actually, uh, I, I thank God for this privilege to share what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in my life and my entire household. I was born and raised in the slum area of Manila, Philippines. Since I was eight years old, I was already in love with horse racing and worked 
as a collector with illegal bookies. And bet at the same time, and that lifestyle continued here in U.S. when we migrated to Los Angeles in 1984 at the age of 21. Together with my parents and my six siblings, and I am the oldest. In Southern California, depending on the season, I only know three special recreation places. Santa Anita, Hollywood Park, and Del Mar Racetrack. I love them. <laughs> in 1987, I met a lady that I fell in love with and we got married, my wife, Del. My wife didn't have any idea what kind of guy she was married to. Sorry. <laughs> Until I was hooked and become compulsive gambler. Again, I love horse racing during that time. In 1996, my company relocated in Portland because my wife thinks there's no horse racing here in Portland. <laughs> but she didn't know that I already researched the area. Portland Meadows Racetrack was my church, and I went there every time I got a chance, especially on the weekend, and used even our mortgage payment, our car payments, to bet the horse racing. They possessed two of our cars, almost lost our house because of my being compulsive gambler. I still remember the question that my 11-year-old son, AJ, asked me. He said, Dad, when are you going to change? Look what's happening to our family. Because of what he saw from his mom, who is suffering emotionally and physically, during that time, I knew, I mean, deep, uh, in deep, deep in my heart, that I was struggling big time with my relationship with my family because of pride, I did not want to admit it to myself. Between 1998 to 2000, someone from my college uh, fraternity shared the gospel to me for the first time in my life. He started sharing the good news about Jesus, which lasted for more than two years. And I told to my friend Alan, said, please, Please stop sharing this gospel. I believe in God, and I know I'm a good person because I know I'm not taking advantage of anybody. Baloney. <laughs> Alan replied to me, my friend, which is, he, he lives in, uh, by the way, he lives in Maryland. Uh, he replied to me with gentleness and respect. I said, okay, I will leave you alone, and I will not bother you again. But can I request one last thing? And I replied to him, okay, what is it? He said, can you get the Bible that I gave you and read this verse to me out loud? James 2.19. Okay, so after I find that uh, chapter and verse, this is what the, uh, James 2.19 says. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. And after I read that verse with attitude, he asked me this question, is your belief and the demon's belief the same? 
I told him, of course not. And he said to me, then show it to God. Remember, the demons really believe in God and shudder, but they don't want to submit their will to God. After that conversation over the phone with Alan, I realized that I needed help and started seeking God because of what's happening with our family. On October 17, 2000, I born in the family of God. I prayed by myself and asked for forgiveness and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And this is what I prayed. Lord, if you are real and true, I surrender my life to you. And please, please give me a sign that you are with me and show me the way. And also, I ask forgiveness to my wife for the suffering and heartache I've done to her. My wife so excited what happened to me. So she called my sister, one of my sisters, and told her the good news of what happened to me. And she told my wife to give him three to six months, and she's going back to, the, to his old ways. So after a few months, my sister, Grace, not the grace of God, Grace, my sister, <laughs> called my wife and asked, so what happened to our brother? Now, did he back to his old ways? And my wife said, no, we're very active in church, especially your brother. And my wife told me, I said, oh, your family thinks that you're crazy now. <laughs> okay. And then to make the story short, everybody in my family moved to Portland from Los Angeles because of what happened to me. Can you imagine that? They changed the rainy Portland to a sunny Southern California. I don't know why. <laughs> and then this is another blessing for us. My youngest brother, PJ, who was a drug user since high school days, got saved and has been married to a pastor's daughter. For 15 years now, for 15 years now. So, here's the last thing I, I, I mean, for me, this is true to me, to my, to my life, you know. I know if you remember Acts 16, 19, 16, 9, I mean 31 to 30, 30 to 31, which is the jailer asked Paul, you know, and uh, Silas says, Sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you, and you will be saved, you and your household. That's what happened to me. My six siblings, my mom and my dad, my 19 grandchildren, my parents, got all saved. Got all saved. So all I can say is, praise the one who set me free. Amen. Can we thank him again? Thank you. I love that story. And I, I, it's, it's, it's not just about a person's transformation, but did you hear that? All 19 grandkids now. Our, the whole family has, has been transformed by Jesus Christ. Now, can you imagine what would happen if we all became mirrors 
that turns toward Jesus? What if we all did this? What if we became mirrors that turned toward Jesus? What if we all reflected his glory and were becoming transformed into his likeness? Then we would experience the glory of God like never before. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit to turn, to reflect, and to transform. And that we would indeed experience your presence, your glory, like never before. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.